welcome back to the Living the Scene podcast. We are here with episode number three, and this one is going to be all about how MLMs and cults have some striking similarities. I'm Eve. I am the creator of the Sounds Like MLM Facebook group. I'm Anna. I'm one of the moderators of the Sounds Like MLM Facebook group. I'm Maggie. I'm one of the admins of the Sounds Like MLM Facebook group. And today we have a guest joining us uh, who used to be in a cult. And uh, his name is? It's it's Mike. I'm Mike. Hello. Hello. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Not to the podcast. I literally almost bust out with that. And he was like, and his name is. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Mike. Um, you're here to talk to us today about your experience in a cult while we compare it to being in a multi-level marketing company. How does that make you feel? Uh, indifferent. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's how you normally <laughs> feel about things though, right? I, I mean, yeah, they're they're uh essentially the same thing, so I don't mind talking about it. I, I wrote about it the other day, but it's that post seems to have been deleted. So ah. <laughs> Yes, that'll happen on, on the Facebook world. Yeah. When things go sour. I am confused by this. I don't know what happened, so someone will have to fill me in later. <laughs> there was there was a post about why why do usually like religion why do churches and stuff seem to attract MLM uh, oh, yep. people so much? I know the one you're talking about. And I and I comment on it that they have basically the same like philosophy usually where it's um they both prey on people who aren't. Basically, religion and, and MLMs both prey on people who aren't really uh, informed, and then they kind of draw them in th- through like love bombing them, where they make them feel really included, and then they kind of use that as a wedge to drive between them and other people like family members and stuff. And then once they've got you where you're separated from your friends and family, then you are either really deep in the MLM or you're in the cult, and they can uh, just kind of control your life but i guess whoever i guess whoever i commented on that post i guess they didn't appreciate it but yeah that'll happen (laughs) so um how long ago were you in this uh cult michael i'm trying to think it's been 13 years 14 14 years gotcha and how long were you in it Got all these questions you weren't prepared for, huh? Math math is really hard, isn't it? Hard catching investigative journalism. Look, look, I'm turning. What? I don't even know how old I'm turning. I think I'm turning 32 in April. So, like, it's it's life feels long, man. I don't. I don't. um, Shit, don't I know that? I was in it from 15 to 22. So seven years then. Yeah, and there was. I mean seven years of being in it and then there was a year of living at the church grounds or the like the compound area you weren't actually active in the cult for a year but you were still living there no i'm saying like a year of my seven years of being in the cult was actually living 
Yeah. Oh, like completely immersed in it. Yeah, like having outside contact cut and stuff like that and having oh, my geez. phone taken away and not ha- being allowed to have family members visit or friends. How did you get involved with it in the first place, though? How does a 15-year-old make that decision? Was it made for you? Yeah, it wasn't really a decision I, I made personally. Um, it was we the, my family, like my dad's side of the family, started attending this church. And then as churches do, you get really involved in like the youth group and then you start showing up, you know, instead of just Sundays going to church, you start showing up for like Friday night youth group. They would drop me off. And then they had this thing that was called cell groups, which they changed that name to like life groups or something to sound a little less uh, terroristy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was like every Tuesday night we would meet together. And that was like a small group of just guys. And they had them, they were separated by gender. So like the guys met with the guys and the girls met with the girls. And so I, then I would get dropped off for that. So then I was up to like Tuesdays, Fridays and Sundays being at church. And then as you start to get more involved, they start to ask you to do more things like, Hey, can you come out? We're having like a, a dinner thing Saturday night or Hey, you're doing really good in your cell group, your life group thing. Maybe you can sit in on such and such as life group on Wednesday nights. And so now you're going Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday night. Like it ends up just incrementally taking more and more days until you end up like it's your entire life. You're going to this church seven days a week. And so it just started out as just going to church. And that was, that was it. But the way the hierarchy and stuff was set up was like, you just felt more rewarded the more that you, I guess, volunteered of yourself and more included in things. So you would, you would willfully do this stuff. And my, I mean, and my parents at like my dad's side at the time, they had no issue like taking me to church was, you know, I guess they figured that I could be doing a lot worse things at 15 or 16 years old than going to church seven days a week, which maybe, but. So, it was very gradual. It was not like uh, they kidnapped you and stuck you in a white gown and no, yeah, no, no. <laughs> hang out in a basement with candles and creepy music and pledge your shaved your head. And yeah, took no, out, I, took your shoelaces. I think that <laughs> that's a different thing, Maggie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's just being committed. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I think no it was it was i don't think it was it was incremental um i think it was more effective because of that because you don't you know like it, with anything else like if you lose weight or something like that over a series of time and then you don't really recognize it because you look at yourself every day then somebody else will come along and they'll see you and they'll be like wow you've lost weight and you're like oh, i didn't notice and that's kind of how it is with like getting inducted into that is you start off just going to church once a week and you're like well this is normal because people go to ch- that's what they do people go to church And then it's like, well, people just go to church, you know, on Friday nights because it's a youth group. That's normal. It's what they do. But then by the time, like, it's over with, you're like, I go to church seven days a week and this is great because I'm committed. It it becomes less about, like, what other people do because at first you you base what you're doing on what others do. Like, this is normal because others do it. And then in the end, it's not so much that others do it. It's this is okay because I'm different than everyone else. Um, I'm doing something that's, that's uh, exceptional or, or better than other people. So, and then what someone just saw, like, did it become like friends on the outside or family on the outside? Just like, we never see you anymore. Where have you been? Um, I mean a little bit, 
but I mean, I was kind of, the thing was, I was kind of secluded as a teenager anyways. Like I, I was kind of antisocial. And so having church friends became like my full-time friends. Um, it was easy to just swap them in. And I mean, family members and stuff, you know, were like, well, this is kind of weird. You're over there a lot. And the, the way that the church taught you to combat that is, well, those people, you know, they're not as dedicated as you. So obviously they're going to have an issue with how dedicated you are to this, you know, how much time you invest in it. Mm. Um, and it's just, it starts using that as the wedge to make you voluntarily pull away from your friends and family because they aren't, you know, on the same path as you or, or, um, they're not going where you're going in life kind of, kind of deal. Like if they're not for us, they're against us mentality, but you end up, you, you end up, you're in so deep that you, you do it yourself. The church doesn't have to, uh, they don't, they don't have to push away your friends and family because you'll do it yourself because of how you feel about it now. I mean, I, I don't know. I, for me, that's what I feel like is like the scariest part of like getting sucked into that kind of stuff is the way that it changes the way you think about just fundamental aspects of how you relate to other people. Um, it changes right. your entire personality. Concern no longer seems like concern. Like if someone approaches you and they're displaying concern for what you've been doing, it's hostile. It's hot. Yeah. It's you, you, yeah. you don't want me to succeed. Yeah. You're attacking, you're attacking my, my destiny or my calling or all the words that, you know, a, a church, a general, even like a normal, not culty church <laughs> will throw out, you know, your destiny or your calling, your calling within the church. And so, um, what eventually was there like a light bulb eventually that made you think, Oh, this is, this is crazy. I need to leave. Or was it, um, also gradual or how did you, uh, end up leaving that? Um, it, it wasn't, it, it was gradual, but I left before I realized like, the, the 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 feeling that it was crazy didn't come until later um i first i ended up they asked me to come live there on the grounds right. um for like their training program which was like essentially seven days a week of working at the church cleaning toilets and studying like theology and um doing different classes and gaining like certificates which was all like it it, it sounds almost like you know, something that you would do if you were going to like a hardcore, like church summer camp or something. Um, no, but- that doesn't sound at all. <laughs> I never cleaned toilets at any church summer camp I went to. Well, the idea, the idea there is that, you know, they, they get you in there and then it's about practicing, like being humble because, you know, the pastor should be able to clean a toilet because he has to serve people and, and like nobody's above anybody else. Jesus and that's watching like, people's feet kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the entire guys that they operate under at first is like, everybody is on this equal playing field. And then later on, you, you start to see that there's definitely like a hierarchy of who's in control and who's in control of them and, and where you are like at the bottom of this totem pole um, or this pyramid. <laughs> but after like moving in, that was when they were like, well, in order to live here, you know, you have to give up your phone because you need like a 30 day, you know, detox period where, you know, you just, you just get adjusted and settled in and it's like, okay, but then you never get your phone back because you always manage to do something that they're like, well, we're just going to hold on to your phone a little longer because, you know, you did this and it shows that you're not, you know, prepared or you're not ready to like move on to the next step. And so 
I think for like four or five months, I went without having a phone. And then when friends would try to visit, they would tell them they couldn't come visit me. Um, and then even like family members and stuff, they weren't allowed to come visit me. And uh, I think at that point, like most people were kind of already accustomed to where I was, was at. like nobody was coming in looking for me at this point because I was already like, it had already been a couple of years of me just kind of ducking everybody. Um, so like even family members, my mom would try to come visit me and they turned her away a couple of times. Um, and so that went on for like the first six months. And then the second six months, like I was allowed to have visitors, but I still wasn't allowed to like really leave the church grounds with those people. I could only leave, I could only leave the, 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 the grounds if I was with um, one of the staff there, like one of the church staff. So like my mom would come to visit and we could hang out at the, around the church and stuff, but we couldn't leave. Um, and then like after a year, they, they let me, they let me leave. Um, and by let me leave, I mean, I packed up my bags and uh, left, <laughs> got in like an argument with them and and left. But then you don't, it's not something that you can just leave because it, by that point, like you're kind of dependent on them. Um, they were, there was like those, that was my friends. That was all my family. So I didn't live there anymore, but I was still just back to doing like my seven days a week church going stuff. Um, and then the guys from the church would come hang out with me when I wasn't at the church. So this went on for a couple of years after that. And during that time when like you were living there and you were allowed to see your family, but you weren't really allowed to leave. What would have happened if you left? Like you wouldn't be welcome back or you would have had to clean more toilets or they would like tie you up and throw cabbages at you. Or like, what, what was the, <laughs> what was the like punishment for disobeying? I guess. No, it was, it was never anything like there was, it was never anything physical. It was, I mean, the thing is like, I was basically only bound there by my own lack of free will, I guess. Like there wasn't, they weren't physically restraining me right. um, or punishing me by, you know, hitting me or throwing stuff at me. It would be like, you'd end up getting like a really angry or stern <laughs> lecture from like the pastor. The pastor would like pull you aside into his office and like, and, and tell you how, you know, you need to be dedicated and you can't be doing these things. And it's just, this is a weakness. And, and it, and it just played off of the psychological like manipulation part of it, where you felt bad for doing something as normal as like going out to see a friend or like going to hang out with a family member. Like you would just, you would feel bad for it. Um, and then they would take privileges away, like, or, or they'd make me get up earlier. I mean, mm. I was already getting up at like five o'clock in the morning. So like, I if you I had said to get nothing up, physical. That's awful. That's yeah. literal. <laughs> but, but so they were literally in, in those ways that you just described, they were controlling your behavior and you didn't even realize it. Yeah. But, like well, the, where you say that a, lot they, of it, they, a lot of it is you think that you're now doing this yourself. Um, that's, I mean, that's what is, I guess so insidious about like the cult mentality is you think that you're in, in total control over, over what you're doing, but you're just being manipulated um, or you've been manipulated for so long. Like the, the entire idea of like brainwashing somebody, it, it's to make them 
go against their own basic uh, instinct and, and goodwill to follow whatever you're trying to do. So, to get them to like not act on their own best interest, thinking that they are acting on their own best interest. Yeah, yeah. So when, um, when you lived, so, uh, when you lived on the grounds, was there like a curfew? Was there a uniform? Was there like a mess hall? Like, did they every, every day? I mean, uniform was <laughs> uniform was dress clothes. Um, you dress like you're a pastor every day. Um, Sunday best. Yeah. Well, essentially like you're, you have to have a dress shirt on. You have to have, you know, nice clean pants, nice shoes. Everything is about like appearing real. You have to, your appearance has to be really well kept. So clean shaven, um, hair trimmed. And you, you, like, we didn't have to tuck in like our dress shirts, but if it looks sloppy, they would, they would make you do that. Um, so just like Sunday best, but like non-denominational Christian church Sunday best, not like Southern Baptist Sunday best. But that was every day, just in case like someone stopped by, you needed to, you know, represent God's church. And so you had to look like, I, it, I, I don't know, like the, the more I think about it, the more it kind of baffles me because it's just, it, it's really backwards now. But at the time, like that was, you got up at five o'clock in the morning, you read your Bible from five to six. Um, and then from six o'clock, on you would gather with the other people that were living there and you would go to the gym each morning because you had to work out for an hour each morning and then we would get back we'd have enough time for showers and to throw something quick in our stomach and then we'd be off to do chores around the church for the rest of the day until around three or four and then there was usually like some church thing going on seven days a week at the church that we had to set up for and then participate in and then we would usually like wrap up and get back in the cabin that we were staying in, like we, we'd usually like wrap up whatever church function was going on, clean up after it and all the people wait till they all left and then shut the lights off, lock the church up and get back into the cabinet, maybe nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And so there wasn't like a force, like you need to be, you need to be in at a certain time. It was just, you were already up from five o'clock and you were just now finishing your duties at like 10 PM. So you would get back to the house, shower, shove something in your stomach and then go to bed and then repeat the process. <laughs> yeah. And then repeat the process the next day. So and you, I mean, you said a few times now you and the others, how many other people were there actually living there at the time you were there? Um, there was an adult head of house. So they would usually get like an older, I say older, but like thirties or forties. I have to say, um, like our age now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking so back. Like the guy, the guy that was probably in charge of things for a while was probably my age now. So, <laughs> but but yeah, there was the, he had like the main bedroom of the cabin, and then for a time, the other some of the other guys like cycled through, and there's kind of like a high turnover rate when you're when you're in that kind of cult because they would drop off. Um, I remember like this kid got, this other Mike got dropped off there who had like behavior problems and he was there for, I don't know, a couple months. And then he just kind of like ran away and shocking. <laughs> so, like, really? so like, yeah. So like some people get away from it and they're not there the entire time. So like the only other permanent member that I was there with, there was two other people that I was there with that were like, that stuck it out permanently. And, um, but usually like there was one of them 
and another bunk mate in another room. And then there was a guy who slept up in like the loft area above me. And then I had a bunk bed in my room where there'd be another person. And then occasionally we would have more than that. And occasionally we'd have less, but there was always at least four of us in the house, me and two other, I don't, I don't know what you want to call them, other, other guys. And then yeah. the adult. So there'd be four of us at all times. So a relatively small group. What about the adults who weren't living there, but were partaking in mostly daily stuff? I mean, they were usually on staff. So they would, they come there and they do whatever, like whatever their work thing was. So like one of them was a guitar player. So pretty much his job was to like, make sure we didn't blow anything up that we were cleaning. And then he would just play guitar all day. And that was like his, that was his thing. Um, and he but got like paid. how many, how many were there total who were like, oh, um, I understand it. It's like a, I understand that it's fr- front facing. It's just like a, a regular church, but like there were, much more cult-like tones underneath, but obviously not everybody who like went to the church was. Yeah, during the day they're in be... the cult side, right? Or were they? I mean, no. The, Are they? The, the, the point of it is, the point of it is the psychological like manipulation of people. So, if you attended that church for more than you know a couple weeks, then you were most likely. A little, uh, a little manipulated in the head. So, gotcha. it, it, I mean, the people people would come to the church and they'd be like church members for you know like a year or something, and then they would have like a disagreement with the pastor and a falling out, and they would decide that they wanted to go somewhere else to church, and they would be cut off from the entire church. Like nobody in this church is allowed to associate with that person because they're you know they're. Um, they're not planted was the, was the thing. Like they're not like you're supposed to plant at a church and have roots. So you can't leave and go to another church. Like this entire thing of like, it has to be this church. It has to be in this building. It has to be this pastor. Um, and so people would come to this church and they'd go for like a year and then they couldn't leave because if they'd leave, all of their friends would cut them off. Um, they'd, they'd have like, they, people would come and like, people would come with like their, uh, their wife and their, and their children. And then the husband would want to go to a different church and it would cause relationship issues where the wife would not be able to talk to the husband. Like it was, I I mean, on that scope, it's everybody that, that went there. Like if obviously if someone dropped in for a Sunday service that had never been there before and they just came for one service and then they left, they're, they're not being affected by it. But typically people are repeat customers. Right. I'm trying not to put in parts, you know, obviously, like I've talked to you about this uh, on some level um, before, but I know you've also mentioned um, like children in the church um, who are like their parents. Yeah. Well, that too, but like are told, um, you know, if they're given instructions or directions by uh, one of the staff or the elders or whatever and their parents yeah the, the, whatever rules the, the church uh says it supersedes whatever the parents say oh hell no so <laughs> so children this this goes back to what i was saying about like the um the life groups um is in this hierarchy you can look this up if, if like if you want to know more about what i'm talking about it's called the g12 vision the letter g number 12 
um, and just search like G12 uh, cult. And I think there's an entire webpage dedicated to G12, G12 cult.org. But so the idea is each person, um, what is it? Matthew 28, I think 19 says, go therefore into all the world, um, baptizing them in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit, teaching them all these commands. Like we had to memorize <laughs> a lot of the Bible, but that verse in particular was the entire structure of the, the way the church was set up in that, um, each person was supposed to go out and get 12 people saved. And then those 12 people were supposed to get 12 more. And so the life groups, what they were supposed to be was the person leading the life group was like the person who got 12 people saved. And then the people attending it were his 12. Oh my God. Those are downlines of saving people. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then what Down happens is I had, I had a life group where I, when I was in, when I was in, I would have, I think mine was like Wednesday nights. And then I would go to, my other one on Tuesdays, which was where, where I was a member and not the person teaching. Um, and so that was like a group of my peers and the guy that was teaching was like the person over me. You're upline. Yeah, yeah. And then when I would go to my Wednesday night ones with those guys, those were like your downline, my downline, but they were, they were my inferiors. Yeah. In in the high in, Yeah, the downline downline is your they're your little minions. Yeah, but in in this like in this hierarchy, um, it's like a power hierarchy where if they're beneath you, then whatever you tell them goes. And if they have an issue with something that happens in the church, they don't approach the pastor directly. They approach you. And if you can't give them an answer directly, then you have to approach yours. And if they can't give me an answer to give to them, then and it just trickles back up the chain, but typically that's not how it would be handled. They'd come to me and I would just give them an answer. And if I couldn't give them an answer, I would just be told to just tell them to forget just, it, to just, well, just, Never to, just it again. to just, to just trust. Or if it was that they had a problem with somebody, just throw it back. Well, you know, if you have a problem with somebody that means you have a problem kind of thing, like just like making Gosh. it back onto them. Um, if you're pointing your finger at one person, you have three pointing back at yourself. <laughs> Essentially. I mean, that was, that was the entire thing. Like I had problems with people while I was like there. My only takeaway from fourth grade. <sighs> well, I had, only I thing had problems I with people while I was there <laughs> and I went to the pastor about it and he was just like, this isn't a them problem. It's a you problem because you have this problem. So you need to fix it. Um, and I always thought that was so infuriating, but then and toxic yeah but then again you're not allowed to question that like you like it was just something that i and i and really for a couple of years there i mean that was i operated on that idea that like if i am angry with somebody else it's a me problem that i need to fix and that's how i that's just how i approach things after that but so the the structure of it though as you can see, like I'm, these these little life groups that are happening, you know, during the week are the base, the very base of this, and then it goes all the way up until you hit the pastor who has his twelve, which is like the main twelve people in leadership of the church, um, and then that pastor has a pastor in South Africa, who is basically he would come over, you know, once or twice a year and it would be like a guest pastor at our church. But he was the one that was like telling our pastor what he was supposed to preach on each day or, you know, or each Sunday and like what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to run the, the, the life groups and, and the hierarchy. Um, and then he had 
the pastor in South Africa has a pastor, and that's Cesar uh, Castellano, who's from Colombia, who's the one who started the G12, like the idea of this hierarchy structure. But it would become really toxic when like somebody, they, they stop doing it. Like people can't, they're not machines. They can't just go out and get people saved so they can have their 12. You can't just go out and grab 12 people and be like, all right, these guys are Christians now. And so what they started doing is they would just start, whoever came to the church that would get saved, they would just start putting them in your group. So you would have like this downline kind of like handed to you and warm leads. Yeah. You would, yeah. And they, they would give them to you and you were, and you were tasked with um, solidifying them. Um, so basically they don't, so they don't leave. They put them in your group and then they're, and they're just told, well, if you, you know, go to this group on Wednesday night and it'll be, you know, you have a great time. And then your task during that Wednesday night life group is to make sure that they come back again. Um, and then what would happen that made this toxic is then kids would, you know, go up on a Sunday service or whatever that were like 12 years old and stuff and get saved and then get put into a life group. But then eventually those kids, because kids are impressionable and they don't have any reservations, they would go back to their schools and they would get, you know, a bunch of their friends to come to church and then they would get put in charge of their own little life group. Oh my God. And so then they would have like all these kids that they were just like, indoctrinating <laughs> through them. But then because that kid, because that kid has his own life group, that kid is now considered a leader, which promotes him like on the, the hierarchy chain. So eventually what you had was I had someone in my twenties that was, I think 17 and was technically considered above me. And then I've had it where parents come in after their kids and their parents are technically considered beneath them beneath their kids in the because the kids have been in the church long yeah because they've been active to listen to their kids they don't they don't try that they basically just enforce that like the kids don't answer the to the parents um like if if your kid is supposed to go to say they had they started up a dance team and say your kid is picked by the church to be in this dance team and they don't want to be in the dance team it doesn't matter but if they're supposed to be a dance team on like Saturday night at, you know, six o'clock, then they better be at dance at seven o'clock or six o'clock on Saturday night. Like, and if the parents are like, I can't take them it becomes like this thing. Well, you're not dedicated enough and it's affecting your relationship with your children. And so parents would end up getting manipulated by that. And then their kids would be running, like running their own freaking downline groups with, Downline. <laughs> so they basically used like 11, 12 year old kids as like, for lack of a better word, bait, super, like <laughs> super spreaders, like what? for like viruses, like they, super spreaders, like they're the ones who were to, to take a kid yeah. and get this idea in their head and stick them in a school. That's yeah. that idea spreads yeah. like crazy, just school, like a virus. I mean, schools, schools were a big target because we, I mean, we would get in, uh, we had like, once you would find th this thing, like everybody was somebody, we would get a staff member from one of the schools would like decide to come into a Sunday service. And like, that's a target because if that person is a staff member at the school, that's an end to be able to get into that school. And so you would kind of like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be told to like target them, but you know, definitely reach out to that person. So eventually we would end up getting into the schools and we could do like, you know, like a, a dance a dance program or we could show up for like uh 
like the band, the, the church band could show up to the school's battle of the bands or something. And, and then afterwards they would allow the church to do like outreach. And so, and you try to get them as young as possible because those kids are surrounded by, I mean, we're adults. Like if, if we don't have like a full-time job, then it, we don't have, uh, we don't interact with other adults as often. Like if right. you, if you have a full-time job where you're going to like a, an establishment where you have coworkers, then those people are, are more likely to be able to be uh, persuaded <laughs> into hanging out with you. Whereas like, if you don't, you're not going to just approach the random, you know, uh, checkout cashier at, at your local grocery store and be like, Hey, you want to go to church on Sunday? I mean, people do, and we used to do that too, but it's not as effective as getting to the kids that are in school with thousands of other kids. Um, they spend eight hours with every single day. Yeah. And, and what, and the thing is, well, and, and the other thing is about school is, I mean, peer pressure, like if you get four people that are in a class together, uh, if you get four people that are in the church that are all in a class together, they can basically get the entire class to end up coming to the church because that's four people's uh, persuasion within one classroom. Um, and so it was, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like this game of like chess of like, where can you place strategic people together where you can get the most, like where you can throw your net out and grab the most fish. Um, it's like mind sweep. Yeah. yeah. It's like mind sweep. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> All right. So I feel like we could talk about Michael's cult experience forever, but we've literally for hours. Yeah. Oh my god, we got to so bring it back. I don't even have questions. I'm just like, this is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we started to do connect the dots a little with like the dots. Well, yeah, oh, and, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, and you so much. And you asked like when I when I started to think that it was crazy. Um, when I left, it was because I had and like a falling out with the leadership there where I, where I started having questions like, Hey, the Bible says this, and that's not what we're doing here. And you, like I said earlier, you don't question that kind of stuff. And so when it got to the point where I was old enough, where I was just like, dude, this is, this is BS that I can't like even ask questions. I left. But even after that, I still, it's hard to leave because you don't have a life anymore. So like when I left, I didn't, I didn't have any friends. My family was kind of like, I didn't have a, like a really good relationship with them because, um, well, I was never around. And then like, it took me years to like unwind the stuff that I had been taught in my head. Um, so I don't know, probably, it probably took me three or four years after I had totally left. Like after I, and that was the other thing was I had to cut a hundred percent contact with all of them because if I didn't like, that's all they do is they want you to come back. So if you don't cut contact, it's just like trying to quit smoking with and hanging out with a guy who is constantly offering you a pack of cigarettes. Like I just, I couldn't. So I had to cut them all off. And then like three or four years after that, I was like, that probably wasn't normal. There's probably something a little weird about that. Like not all churches do that. I mean, I, I think there is inherently like, a, a manipulative aspect to, to most uh, modern religion, but not to that extent where you're like out harvesting people. Like there's some kind of crop. So. So funny that you say like, not funny, actually it's kind of sad that it took you three years to like kind of connect those pieces because I think one of the most um, frequent like 
topic and like subject of people's comments in the group or like their posts is always just like, I'm smart enough now. I know better now. Yeah, now. And I wonder how long <laughs> it takes. You know, is that normal that it takes a couple of years? Is it like what he was saying? Was it gradual? Was it well, just MLMs, a light bulb one day? MLMs do the same thing where they, where they like friendship bomb you, where they make you feel really good. And then you have all this kind of, you know, this, this instant connection with a bunch of people and that all that stuff is, is manipulation. So like in order to get out of an MLM, it's the same thing. Like if you don't cut all of those people off, and I mean like cut them off as friends, cut like a hundred percent, like ice them out of your life. Then that's just more opportunity for them to keep coming back and being like, I know that you said that it works, doesn't work, but what about Plexus? Like it, it's yeah. just they'll cause those people are still wrapped up in it and they just hop from one MLM to another. Um, oh, and they'll use like that. They finally agree with you about that one that you guys were. In yeah, before. I agree. You were so right about like that tactic. one. Yeah. yeah but this but one, try this one now. Much yeah. And, and yeah. so it's the same way you'll, you'll end up because you were manipulated into joining the first one. That manipulation is, is psychological, and so it kind of changes the way that you think about things. So if you don't cut those people off 100%, you're just leaving yourself open to being manipulated again down the line. And I think that being afraid of having to make that step or even being afraid of having that step made for you by just hinting at the fact that you're kind of not buying it anymore and you, you may want to take a step back or leave completely, yeah. but the fear of these are all my friends. I... And and a lot a lot of times I don't have any other friends because I push them all away. How long? How many people stay in it just for that aspect, just to not feel that fear and have to deal with that? I had friends that stayed at the church for years afterwards, and they hated it. But they stayed because they didn't know anyone else. Like that was that was where their family was. That's where all their friends were. And if they left, they would literally be like excommunicated from their community. Um, this connection. Yeah. So, I mean, that's being, feeling connected to something is a really strong psychological idea. And, and if you know ahead of time that if you leave, that that's all going to be stripped away. I mean, it's, I, I, for some reason, like when I left, I didn't realize it was going to be like that until people stopped answering my phone calls and people stopped calling me. And I realized that like, oh, I'm one of the ones that they kind of like tossed aside at this point. And so they don't start calling you again until months afterwards when they're, you know, just checking up on you. And so they cut you off. So you have that feeling of like no community. And then they'll come back later when they're ready to try to manipulate you again, when they feel like you've softened up again. Cause initially you're obviously you're angry, you're hurt, you're all these things and they can't work with that kind of emotion. So they'll come back when you've calmed down later to try to pull you back. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine like being in an MLM and then knowing that if you stop selling a product or you, you know, or express doubt in a product that literally all of your friends, the people that you've, you know, gotten accustomed to are all just going to drop you. That's super shitty. <laughs> That's like the emotional control part of any call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've got this kind of a, a list here of, cult identifiers um the characteristics of, of cults that we were kind of looking through and 
thinking how very, very similar it is to MLMs. And really throughout the whole last, I don't know, what, 40 minutes <laughs> of you talking about this culture. And I just kept thinking about like the parallels with MLMs, you know, obviously they're the ones like the downline and the upline that are, you know, clear as day, but there were some other things in there that just really like reminded me of MLMs and that could really have a parallel drawn, you know, like the whole, you can't talk to anybody, but like your direct upline for, um, you know, answers about something, which is something that they do, you know, encourage and, yeah, it makes you feel exclusive. Yeah, and the idea that these people were above you for whatever reason, it's like, you know, they have in MLMs, they have these levels of distributor, and then there's the diamond distributor, and then there's the fluffy, you know, I don't even, <laughs> they have the craziest, like, adjective, adjective, adjective A distributor. triple diamond platinum <laughs> yeah, pearl distributor. Right, which is all nonsense. It all make it doesn't mean it's anything. Literally, all just me. I'm. Oh, it's hilarious because I could I could make up the same exact thing, and for some reason, someone would read it and be like, "I want that." Right. I want that title. Everybody wants the gold star or the double black diamond, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, we had we had people like that in in the church, and they spread like wildfire because it's everything is dependent on community. So if like one person starts selling Mary Kay, they just tell their, you know, they just tell their church downline, Hey, you guys should uh, check out this product. And so then their church downline immediately would like become their Mary Kay downline. That happened in your, like that you experienced or you, you like witnessed. Yeah. I, we, they we had MLMs going through specifically, there. Specifically. I know we had like the Mary Kay, Oh lady came in and she had she had like her pink her pink car that she would show up to church in and uh, oh that she wasn't actually given yeah. by the way <laughs> no, no. yeah now they that was like her her bragging rights was that so yeah, they, they, they would pop up all the time between it was usually like makeup it was usually like aesthetics if it was something like a shampoo or a makeup or something to make you look you know look better presentable whatever it is yeah. that they're they're selling to people Something I fail at daily. Um, Same. <laughs> that's crazy. That's like Inception, but MLMs, like a cult inside of a cult. Pyramidception. Well, it's a lot easier yeah, yeah. in a church because you already have. You already well, and you already are. Like I said, like these. You're like I said about to these. Things. Yeah. Well, and like I said about like your nine to five job. If you don't, you know, if you're not in school, then you're not likely to be around a ton of people, except for if you go to church. Yeah. Um, if you go to church, all of those people are supposed to be like, you know, your brothers and sisters in Christ or whatever. And so you have like this community. So it's, it's, it's a really easy end for an MLM person to be like, well, all these people have to be nice to me. Um, yeah, they're all obligated to support yeah, me and my dreams. Exactly. And so they'll show up and they'll be like, this is what I'm doing with my life and you guys should support it. And then people are like, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, so a hundred percent. Yeah. I'll take your Mary Kay makeup and I'll raise you one thirty-one bag. <laughs> so uh, on this a goddamn MLM swap meet up in there, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> I never saw any swapping, but <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's crazy. In this list, we've got. Um, I'm just gonna kind of go down the list, and we can kind of talk about each 
one here. Um, the first one is deception, which is like so clear. I mean, we had the whole last podcast talking about all of the things that, um, you know, people kind of throw out there to lure you into an MLM with all the money that you make and how you're an owner of a small business and how just all the, it's, it's not a pyramid yeah. scheme and everything. All companies are shaped like pyramids. Yeah. So like the foundation of an MLM really is the deception. It's the, the flashy lifestyle that you can lead and, you know, all, all your dreams. The pink car. Yeah. The pink car and just everything there, you know, and I retired my husband <laughs> at 38. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just all, all of that is it really is is deception, and it's um their first line of it's, defense to get you in. It's it's a constant thing throughout the entire thing, though. They're deceptive about what the company is. They're deceptive about the products, where they get the products, how the products are made, how good they like the quality of the product. Yeah. Um, they're deceptive about how they how they make money, how much, you know, how much money what the actual yeah. opportunity is. Yeah. Uh -huh. Any lawsuits that are out against them. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Deny, oh. deny, deny, deny. Yeah. One oh. of the things yeah. on this one... list says that no one ever becomes involved with a cult as the result of their fully informed consent. And that's definitely true. Yeah. Nobody yeah. realizes that they're definitely going to lose money in this MLM. <laughs> right. I mean, I've, I was just like literally right before we started recording, I was just editing the last podcast. Um, so I was literally just listening to how we were talking about the idea that if everyone could read exactly these numbers and like understand exactly what's nobody would ever want to sign up, but they hide it and they disguise it. It's also about perception though. Like the way that you perceive, like, because obviously the numbers are that less than 1% of people in an MLM make any kind of profit. Yeah. But the way that they still goad people into that is like, well, that's, those are people that aren't trying hard enough or those are people who aren't dedicated. And it's the same thing with like, yeah. like what I said earlier about the church. Oh, well, if those are the people who aren't committed, those are, those essentially are the enemy. You can yeah. be one of those less than 1% people who are making all this money and it's just selling a dream all based on a lie. All you have to do is try. Yeah. Just try and you'll succeed. Yeah. So, and then the second thing on this list is self-appointed sovereign leadership, which is more clear in cults than it is in MLMs, but I definitely think it goes with MLMs as well. It's Isn't that basically you, you, you are your own boss? I mean, you know what? Yeah, no, that's, yep. you can become a diamond double dog, hot dog, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you see, you a diamond double hot dog. <laughs> you see yeah, those all the time. Really butter MLM. You, you yes. see the, you see them all the time talking about butter hot dogs. how they run their small businesses, and you need to support yeah. me because this is my business and, and this is my company. And it's like, no, that's that's the illusion that you're operating under. Under, but this isn't yours. You're basically a subcontractor funneling yeah. money to someone else. It's very true. Yeah. Yep. You're so that's number money two. Money laundering. <laughs> um, number three is the manipulation, which I think is one of the most interesting parts of MLMs because it's so it's so clear to me as an outsider when I see this happening. The manipulation factor is what Mike was talking about with um, having this built-in community. As soon as you're in, 
And they don't, when you think manipulation, you think a lot of negatives, right? Which it is negative overall, but the manipulation comes a lot more in the form of all of this positive reinforcement that you get by joining. You get immediately all of these best friends. They love you. You want to be part of the group. Yeah. And you get to be, you get to be one of the cool kids and, you know, part of the in crowd and they're all so loving towards you and so popular and from what I hear, I've never been in one, but from what I hear and have seen, you know, they text you all day and they, you know, send you cute emails and they pump you up and they tag you in. And schedule phone calls with seven people on it that all yeah. talk at the same time. And have you guys heard about Nexium? That massive cult slash MLM situation? Yeah. Yes. So they have, yeah, that is, I think, one of the biggest examples of cult MLM merge that they have you have to check in with your upline essentially at any time if they text you at three in the morning you have to answer within a couple minutes or else you're in trouble and there are consequences that's I that's a whole nother suitcase to unpack absolutely <laughs> that, 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 whole, whole episode. that whole situation <laughs> yeah oh my god you were talking about how they like you know the love bombing and the gassing you up and being your best friend and nothing, you know, you can do no wrong. They love you no matter what, blah, blah, blah. But like on the flip side, they do so much low key guilting. Like it's wrong of you to have a nine to five job. Yeah. Well, I'm MLMs are like, isn't that the entire objective is to work until you can quit your nine to five. Like, yeah. That's what that's that's what they push you towards, anyways. Is like you need to be a yeah, boss, babe, or and that then you quit should your, quit your nine to five and do this full time. Oh, or that you should just quit it right now and start up because you are going to be that successful and you can absolutely do it. Yeah, get all and in. yeah, not that, that, doing that, pressure, that means you're a failure. Well, and if you quit your job now, when you're not ready, like you just jump in, then you're you know that commitment will will make you become successful. Mm -hmm. You don't have the drive to do it because you have to, or else you're going to starve, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Except you're still probably going to starve because no matter how hard you work, you are unlikely to get ahead in an MLM. Uh, You know, if you're a mom, then if you don't spend all your time with your kids, you're a bad mom. And if you quit your job now, you can put all that time that you were spending at your job into your new business, boss babe. You know, just all the things you guys mm-hmm. already said. <laughs> Manifest <laughs> your success and you can do it. You just have to believe type deal. Gross. Which leads us into um, the next point. Actually, we're going to skip over one. We'll come back. Which is the pseudoscientific mystification, which is like super rampant in cults. Favorite. <laughs> yeah. So there's like two parts to this, which is number one is like, you just got to believe hard enough. You just got to think you can do it. You got to manifest your success. You got to just speak your truth, speak it into, what do they call it? Speak it into reality or whatever. Existence? Yeah. Speak it into yeah. existence. That's the phrase. Take it yeah. till you make it. In, in, church, in church, it was speak it and claim it. Yeah. So, you know, there's that, but then there's also the actual pseudoscience that comes with so many MLFs. <laughs> of it can cure your this and your that and it can cure everything like <laughs> all the claims that they're not legally supposed to make safe for pets 
Yes. It's safe yeah. for babies. Yeah. You could ingest this. You'll lose your pounds will... by wrapping yourself with this plastic thing. I mean, we've seen. Yeah, this pink drink will cure your diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You remember, remember yeah. that? Remember, remember that bad review? I remember we got? that bad review. Um, no, but I mean, we've seen so many times the one that just continues to mystify me because it just hangs around is the um, essential oils versus bleach. Oh, oh yeah, God. thieves cleaner. Yeah, there's. I don't. Oh, that is going to kill the bacteria. Michael, I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, it's come through yeah. our group. I've I've okay. argued with somebody it about it. The it doesn't kill the bacteria. It sends it on vacation for a couple of days. <laughs> and you could go on vacation too if you were your own boss. <laughs> well, they they have that picture. They have that picture of the petri yeah. dishes, uh-huh. and yeah, one of them is so and, yeah, yeah, and one of them and one of the petri dishes is just full of the oil, and it's like, oh well, no bacteria grew, and it's like, yeah, because you smothered the entire petri dish, <laughs> and for one, the entire idea of like of the other ones is that they're like the clean like bleach is it kills the bacteria. It doesn't just keep it from growing while the oil is applied. It actually kills it. Once you remove that oil from your Petri dish and let it grow, it's going to grow. It's like, I don't, the weird, the weird tests that they do on that stuff is just like some backyard physics. The and chicken just, and, and Norwex. That's exactly what I was just going to say. The chicken and yes. Norwex. Oh yeah. Ugh. So gross. They'll. If anybody hasn't heard of this, they literally will rub raw chicken on surfaces and clean it up with this dry microfiber cloth that's theoretically impregnated with some sort of particle that silver. It's just silver. It's silver. silver. You had vital, you had me. Silver, you right? had me an impregnated cloth. <laughs> <laughs> I just join her that, team. Like, it's on my mind. <laughs> join her team, Michael. You could be a boss babe too if you just speak it a into existence. Speak it and claim it. Impregnate those hand towels. And speaking of impregnate, I mean, when I was in the <laughs> trying to conceive Facebook groups, oh the my MLM God. people have so much garbage science involved in how it's going to help you get pregnant if you're infertile. Like, oh, yeah, just rub these essential oils on yourself and drink this weird tea and you'll have a baby. Just skip that IVF thing. I have a fun anecdote, and it almost made me punch someone in the face when I hear about it. (laughs) So, um, Eve, you know this. Michael, you might know. I don't think Anna knows, but my uh, Adam is blind in the one eye and because of the retina tear because of his diabetes. Um, we were at a family party and a not like blood related or by marriage on my side family. Oh, so 100% fair did, game did, to hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't feel um, any guilt for. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm, this is not my assumption. I don't think, or no, I hope not that she, I don't think that she's like actually involved in like doTERRA or any of those, um, or, or young killing. Um, but she immediately was like, oh, have you looked into any oils or supplements? Like, that's going to fucking repair his retina and cure his diabetes oh and make him see again. That's I was horrible. like, are you, there's literal percentage of his retina was removed, you fucking <laughs> idiot bitch. No, I have not looked into any supplements or essential oils to, to fix his eye. Well, that's like, I mean, it's, it's not like that, but they, they've done the same thing with keto. 
Oh like yeah. Where, where, where keto was originally like just a diet that you could do. And then the MLM groups like got a hold of it. And now they sell like ketone packages that you can drink. And it's like, do you realize that the, you're literally paying for pee? Yeah. Like that's not how, <laughs> that's not how ketones work. Like you have to form that's them in your blood works. and you're just like ingesting them in your stomach. Like, hello, your stomach and your bloodstream isn't the same thing. And you're just pissing all that out. Like I, I it's, it's, congratulations on your expensive. Yeah. Pain. And it's really, like, and it's literally, that's and it's really irritating because the, like the diet, if, if the MLM groups hadn't gotten hold of it, the diet itself has worked for people and it's done like, it's done really good stuff for some people. But then once you attack, like once you attach the MLM brand to it, it's like, well, can't do that anymore because you can't say you're on keto it's on cool. Facebook yeah. or you'll just be like bombarded with messages from the Huns. <laughs> I actually just went on Facebook and looked up my favorite pseudoscience that I've seen because I wanted to read it verbatim for you guys. Oh, I can't wait. It is. I'm, I'm giddy. <laughs> it is a market partner with Monet, which is a shampoo company. If you guys don't oh, my know, favorite. they've got yes! several lawsuits against them at the moment for um, everything from making people's hair fall out to causing miscarriages to all sorts of things. Um, I don't claim to know if any of that is true, but there are lawsuits out for these things um, that are pretty pretty serious. But um, a lot of people claim that their hair has fallen out when they've started using Monate. So this is from a market partner who's their version of distributor or consultant. Um, and she says... <laughs> Oh, this is going to be so fucking good. I can't wait. A lot of people are confused with hair falling out and it cleaning the hair. Over-the-counter hair products have basically glue in them that don't let your hair naturally fall out the way it should. Monate cleans out the glue and it lets the hair come out on its own. So it doesn't make the hair fall out. It just removes the glue from the over-the-counter shampoo that was holding it in when it should have shed. This is how companies can say you'll have thicker hair. I hear this happens a lot to people when they first start. My family personally didn't have this problem, though. That's straight from these people that they monate let's sell their products. Yeah. What's that lady's name? Because I just want to talk. <laughs> I'm not saying it. I have never but seen it. Is. <laughs> I know. Wait. Honestly, I just want to invite her over to my house or get her address, which might be even more creepy, just so she can see my hairbrushes. <laughs> and I use like over the counter. I, I mean, it's from Sally's because I bleached my hair. So it's the purple stuff. But I have enough hair in my hairbrush after a week to make like a wig for a small yeah. child. I also. And my oh, hair's short. Like, <laughs> I have a pixie cut. Well, I shed more than my dog does. Yeah. As far as Monet seems to be concerned, like, you've never seen cleaner hair than on a bald person. Yeah. <laughs> I just... <laughs> glue. Right. Glue in regular shampoo. So check your shampoo for glue, ladies. Do they just listen oh to the ingredients list? Like Elmer? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's probably that wacky tacky stuff that comes in the broccoli, the craft glue. It's obviously got to be Gorilla Glue. Gorilla Glue, yes. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we... <laughs> We've pretty well hit this science. Probably zap a gap. Um, and the next point is uh, monopoly of information, right? Ah, so yeah. the the leaders control all the information um, that get to their, you know, downlines or or what have you. And you see this a lot in 
MLMs, um, which is to say they've got, um, like, for instance, the income disclosure statements. Um, they clearly, obviously, um, a lot of companies don't even make, like, publish income disclosure statements because they don't want their consultants or distributors to know exactly, like, what their chances are of, of making it. Um, and even when they do, like we discussed, uh, they're oftentimes kind of disguised to only reflect the people who do make money. And also, like, for the lawsuits, they'll go out of their way to make up pretty much fake press releases about lawsuits being dropped. And, um, you know, we've also, mm-hmm. we've seen that happen. <sighs> These people are pretty sue happy, so I don't really want to say they're company name um but you know they've i've seen (laughs) fake press releases saying that lawsuits have been dropped against mlm companies um that these press releases have been released by corporate uh (laughs) saying saying all sorts of information that's just there to kind of keep their consultants and their distributors in line um so they don't get too concerned because they don't want them to have all the information that really would be necessary to make a informed decision about what they're doing and, and what their quote unquote, their business is being led to. It's crazy to me that when you're, when people in involved in MLMs are presented with this information that they think immediately that you're lying and not that the company that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars that has like a, a dog in the fight to try and protect would be lying or covering up something or not, you know, fully telling the truth at the very least, which is also lying. Yeah, it's because they're so manipulated back to that previous point that they're essentially yeah. brainwashed. Yeah, people are conditioned to view you as the enemy once you do that. You're presenting cold, hard facts. Um, I guess the next one is uh, false justification, um, which is where basically you're gradually dissociated from your regular life and you're just uh, made into deployable agents or expendable combatants, etc. Furthering the, <laughs> I love that. Furthering the hidden criminal objective of the leaders. <laughs> you know, one of the consultant, one of the like 80,000 consultants, 800,000 consultants in an MLM that makes $0. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start calling puns deployable agents. It sounds so much more sinister. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, I think here in, in relief alums, it would be more like um, how you're, how you're so um, encouraged or like almost forced to, when there's somebody new on the team, you have to be one of those people who's commenting on all their stuff and texting them and, you know, being all up their ass just you're a love bomber instead of a lumbami exactly (laughs) you you have to make sure they come back it's the same thing like i said with the church earlier you have to target people and make sure that they keep coming back yeah so now you're on the other end where you're the one handing out the the attention exactly and it says here like in the description about this false justification um it says that the minds are programmed to see the manipulation or cheating or dispossession or destruction of inferior outsiders like those who challenge the group's controlling scenario 
it's per- you're programmed to see that all is perfectly justifiable, which is exactly what happens. You know, you see, um, you see the the whole idea of 99% of the people losing money and you're like, well, that's just because they're not working hard enough. Like it's all justified. It's just because they, they signed up just to get the discount. Right. Exactly. They're kidnappers. And I, I like that you just said something about like the group. Yeah. Like the, the way the group is thinking, because that's the entire idea behind all this is like group think because there's no room for individualism yeah. because individuals self-inform. Um, and you can't have people going and informing themselves. You need them to embrace like group think. Yeah. So uh, then the next one is structural mystification, which I think is huge in MLMs. Cause let me tell you, I am pretty familiar with a lot of how MLMs work, but then you show me one of the, what do they call it? One of the like level charts and it's just so much nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I guess it does eventually yeah, make simple, sense, but no, it is not simple. Make these sales. Exactly. It's like you have to yeah. make 200 per volume and then personal sales volume. And then, um, you know, you have your team volume and your team's personal sales volume. And, and they have to be over this much, but not as much as this much, or else they can come out of your team and make their own team. And then you don't get cra- like, it's all so convoluted. It is never. They have to make it as complicated as possible, so you don't realize how much you're losing along the way, exactly, or or how much you're, or how successful you're not being. Yeah, or just, and I'm sure so many people in MLMs instances, they they just didn't even read it. They had someone like give them the cliff notes version of it, right? So they have absolutely no idea what's there. Exactly, and you know, it it says again in the description here, um, it's to isolate them from liability them being the actual company the actual group so for instance um if somebody doesn't understand the absolutely crazy convoluted way that they can earn a car for example and then they don't end up getting the car because it's nearly impossible the company's not liable for it because they just didn't understand the instructions (laughs) you know it's yeah it's just so simple we laid it out in black it's and all white. here it's this gigantic chart yeah. that makes no sense yeah. it's all conditioning it's all conditioning to make you more susceptible to groupthink as well just kind of going along with whatever someone else like whatever however they explain it to you yeah and that um brings us back to um Chronic psychological deterioration symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, people who kind of uh, break with reality um, and kind of lose touch with the outside world and just uh, live in this bubble of everybody's happy all the time, everybody's supporting everybody, even though there's no reason to. None of it makes sense on paper. Um, but it doesn't matter. You're just, you're just doing what you got to do. You got to keep that up. Boss, babe, keep up the hype, keep up. Yeah. You got to keep the hustle. It's it's an echo chamber. Um, this applies to so much. Yeah. It's very fancy wording for basically just saying that you're going to feel like garbage if you leave because they have pumped you full of false good feelings. Yeah. 
Another well, gone. And you, well, and you probably won't even feel like garbage right away because you'll you'll just be so empty feeling. Right, and that's right. part of what the dis- you want. Like you, you'll be confused. You won't know what to feel. Yeah, and part of this description um, will say that you know those who manage to break with the group and confront the reality that they've been deceived and exploited, they're destitute and dissociated from their social contacts. So now you're uh, broke and alone. <laughs> Excommunicated from the community. Yeah. It makes me think of the several Reddit posts I've come across from spouses of people who are in MLMs deep. Yeah. Oh, they're so sad. The the fifty hundred thousand dollar in debt. I what do I do? I don't. I can trying to get them to stop. I can't take any more. I need to leave. Yeah. Because this person has just become so disassociated from what their behavior is doing to those around yeah. them. They're just convinced if they just put more money into it, know that <laughs> this next time it really will pay off. Yeah. yeah, it's an addiction. It's like gambling. Like people with so a chronic gambling problem. I was just going to say, yeah. that sounds exactly like gambling. Yeah. It'll be different this yeah. time. And I mean, it is. The odds are stacked against you and you're most likely going to lose. But for some reason, people keep putting money into it and trying their luck again. Right? You're absolutely I right. I think even gambling right. has a better um, better chance. Return. Outcome. Return. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, blackjack definitely. Right, does. that's I was about to Google <laughs> it. Any but... slot yeah. does. <laughs> I made $280 last time I went to a casino or some shit like that. I've made I bet $0. That's more than <laughs> any of my MLMs. Yep. You, know, you know, MLMs are the equivalent of like going down to your local gas station and trying to gamble. Like a place that's not even for gambling, and then one, Where and, you know, and then wondering, why, and then just wondering why you lost money, and it's like, well, the guy behind the counter is not actually a, uh, a lottery machine. He's just, yeah, he's, just, <laughs> just, he's just literally just taking your money, slapping a hundred on the counter, and hit me, <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> I don't even have a deck he of cards. Hit you at that point. Yeah. <laughs> God, I don't even think it would take that much effort. You could just go to the ATM, take out money, and leave it in the ATM and, and walk away. That's basically the same thing. It'd be more like going down and saying, "Hit me," and the guy hits you, and then you give him another hundred and tell him to hit you again. <laughs> <laughs> MLMs in a nutshell. So, uh, oh, circling wow. back, um, I skipped over one, but uh, it was radical changes of personality and behavior, which is. I mean, mm. it's so common. I went through that. Yeah. I mean, everybody does when they join their first MLM, you know, so you want to, if you, if you're going to be successful, you have to be X, Y, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you want to be successful. So you make yourself into X, Y, and Z and you make yourself talk to people Ugh. and you make yeah. yourself a hun, which I don't think we've ever explained here on the podcast why we call them huns um i mean it speaks for it it speaks for itself we're not talking about attila right just for the record um, it's because when people message you or talk to you about their mlm they go hey hun yeah they turn into robots which is also part of that group think they all have the same message that they send out 500 emojis and every message it's like it's so predictable. I love I love the ones, the screenshots that come through in the group that are like, they, they didn't even edit the name part of it, you, the copy and paste. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are my hey, favorite. your name. 
Insert name here. <laughs> yeah. I loved when I saw the so, other day that was like a person. Insert characteristic that you find. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Mad Lib that they didn't fill out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst story ever. So the last one is repression of all dissent, which is like a no-brainer. You try and tell a hun um, that what they're doing is unethical and immoral because of all of the ways that their company preys on minorities and women and especially single mothers and they stick their fingers in their ears and go la 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 yeah I it mean, happened to me three hours ago uh, did it well did you see my post it was a screenshot and what are some good work from home jobs oh, i should oh, probably yeah. add that i'm a stay-at-home mom too and i said it's the mlm mating call yeah <laughs> Um, but literally the first comment on their post is pretty much any MLM and that person who wrote that and any other comment thread that was like, don't do MLM. It's bad. Here's why. Here's a link, whatever. Just like I've made 200 extra dollars a month on every single one yeah. denying the facts and <laughs> fingers and ears, la, 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 and like keep endorsing it, keep promoting it. I think the most um, just mind-bogglingly frustrating answer that I see all the time is, oh, which MLM did you have a bad experience with? Because yeah. I have never been in an MLM. I just know how to math. I just know how math works. And I know how, um, you know, the societal pressures that they enact work. And I know how the business model in and, of, in and of itself works and it drives me crazy when they're like oh you must have had a bad experience. i'm sorry you didn't make any money when you were in an mlm and i'm like i never was they assume that you have to be bitter for a reason because you're keeping all these boss babes down yeah it's it's you're maddening. not empowering women and you're not fixing each other's yeah. crowns you're not being supportive of single moms who have to sell nail polish strips in order to feed their family and see that's the thing um they don't have to sell nail polish strips to feed their families there are hundreds of other options out there uh that'll make more money moms that yeah that they can actually make money with that i mean and possibly get benefits with and have a consistent yeah. paycheck like, know yeah. exactly what's going to be in the bank on a set day at any, you know, every week or every other week or whatever. The least you Why would you not want that? Your job. Yeah. Your job's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, you're not you. investing it in a, in a small business. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's, uh, I think that's basically it. Um, so, for today's podcast, we've learned that cults and MLMs are the same thing. Don't listen to anyone who tries to tell you differently because they're in one or the other. Maybe both. As or we both. heard from yeah. Michael, it happens. Like, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Schemeception. That's what we should call this episode. <laughs> yeah. And we'll link the uh, list we were working off of in the info. It's from Fecris, which is um, 
the European Federation of Centers of Research and Information on Cults. And if you notice that those words do not line up with those letters, it's because the original title's in French. Um, and we <laughs> <Oui>, we oui. <laughs> right. I'm not going to try to pronounce the French. <laughs> that would be really bad. I took German in high school. Should try. I'll those try. countries don't have a good relationship historically. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll also link in the show notes. I'll link our new Patreon that we just got set up that has an option for you to um, listen to us recording live if you'd like. Uh, and also an option to join our Discord server, get uh, episodes before they are released, and a few other perks. So check it out. See if you're interested in any of that. I'll also link our website, which has links to our Facebook group and everywhere else you can find this podcast. Um, and I think that's it for today. Oh, we have an Instagram up and coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. we And we are getting hip with the kids on social medias um so check us out on instagram and twitter you are super you are super hip with the kids you have a tiktok there's a sounds like mlm tiktok there is a sounds like mlm tiktok feel free to tag me feel free to tag me in all the boss babe videos you find um we love them so yeah, um, uh, thanks for listening. Can't wait to see you next week. And uh, remember, it's not you, it's them. It's not you, it is them. I don't know why I just shouted that. I, I mean, think it's not the headphones. You're very-